Vermont Viewpoint is a public affairs program produced and funded by WDEV and the Radio Vermont Group. We welcome listener feedback. Email your comments to vtviewpoint at radiovermont.com. Morning, everybody. Jim Douglas sitting in today on Vermont Viewpoint. Uh, a lot of activity out there as we uh, recover from the flooding this week. And Roger Hill says we're going to get a little more rain, but let's hope it's only a little. Uh, but it may be accompanied by some uh, wind. And he even used the T word uh, uh, tentatively in his forecast. So we hope we don't have... Uh, a tornado either, but um, we hope the bulk of the rainfall is behind us and a lot of cleanup activity going on there. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. Um, on the show today, um, uh, we're going to start off with Neil Lunderville, who's the president and CEO of Vermont Gas Systems, but uh, more importantly today, um, someone who's had a lot of experience um, as the Irene Recovery Officer back a dozen years ago, and um, uh, he may be having a sense of deja vu, and we'll talk about what uh, he's been up to today. At 9.30, we're going to talk with Matt Dickinson, our uh, friend uh, at Middlebury College, professor of political science, and hard to believe, but uh, the first Republican president debate is next month. Good heavens. Seems oh, like we just heavens, right. Maybe we need eight year terms instead of four, but, uh, but well, maybe not, just a shorter campaign season, right? Well I, I you know I often talk with my counterparts north of the border where yeah. they don't always know when the election is and so the campaigns were thirty, thirty three or thirty six days. I mean that sounds beautiful. Well uh, anyway. Yeah. Uh, well, not thirty six months. They don't, they don't have that uh, fixed terms like we do. But anyway Matt Dickinson will be with us to talk about what's going on there. Uh, at 10 o'clock, we're going to break away uh, uh, to Governor Scott's uh, press briefing on the uh, uh, flood recovery efforts. Uh, he's been doing them at 11 o'clock, but for some reason he shifted to 10. It's probably because uh, Bill Sayre has more clout than I do and, and uh, <laughs> decided to preempt this show rather than Bill's today, but that's just fine. And then at 10.30, uh, we're going to be joined by another Middlebury College professor, Gary Winslet, uh, who is uh, in political science, but he wrote a report uh, about the housing crisis in Vermont earlier this year, and and um, it's compelling. He's got some specific recommendations. It's based on his own experience of trying to find a place to live as a relatively new Vermonter, and uh, I think you'll find that interesting as well. So great to be uh, be here uh, initially with my good friend Neil Lunderville. And, Neil, uh, um, you're, you're not in uh, CEO attire today. You've got your uh, yellow vest and muck boots on. Tell us about that. I, I, I do, Governor. Great to be with you and great to be your, I guess, your only non-Middlebury professor on the show today. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, you know, it really is great to be with you, Governor, and great to be here in Waterbury this morning. Um, so I am at Vermont Gas Systems. We, we serve northwestern Vermont. We don't uh, serve this area, but uh, we have been responding to the flood over the last few days. We've seen some flooding in uh, Richmond and in Milton that have impacted our customers. But more importantly, you know, this has impacted the broader Vermont community and uh, at, at Vermont Gas, we sought ways that we can help. We have, uh, you know, the team of teams of folks who are who are out every day uh, working uh, in the earth on the ground, and so we have a lot of equipment that we can put to use. So we were in touch with Waterbury town officials over the last 24 hours, and this morning we've deployed 20 of our VGS employees to help uh, here in Waterbury. We actually have an employee that lives on Elm Street, and we've uh, starting with his house, but really working down the block however we can. Uh, we brought pumps, we brought shovels, we, and we brought 
uh, a lot of people power um, to uh, be able to help. Uh, you know, just earlier, I, I am I am indeed in muck boots and in my my vest because I was helping to uh, get the mud out of a out of our employees' basement. Um, I imagine there'll be a few more of those jobs today. And when we're done here in Waterbury, we'll just move down the road to Montpelier and Barry. Um, certainly, we see this uh, this level of destruction is. Is, is pretty breathtaking and it's pretty heartbreaking. Uh, every, even though it's, we were very fortunate not to have a loss of life, but that doesn't mean there wasn't any loss. There's a lot of loss, a lot of, a lot of property, a lot of memories and just the seeing people's lives upended. It does bring back a lot of memories of, of Irene and every other uh, flooding and natural disaster event that we've worked on over the last 20 years. Um, so at VGS, we're trying to do our part here. We're going to continue to do our part in the long recovery that ahead, but um, we're uh, we're happy to do it despite the really terrible circumstances. Well, it's very generous of you and the company to pitch in, but that's what Vermonters do, right? Absolutely. Uh, all across the state, uh, people are coming. People are coming from out of state. There was a couple from New Hampshire interviewed on the TV last night. They came over to help in southern Vermont, and uh, folks want to pitch in when their neighbors are in need. Um, as we've alluded, Neil, you've had experience with this uh, back in 2011. Um, uh, give us a sense of uh, what we learned from that. Uh, were we better prepared this time? Do you think? Yeah, I I believe we were. Uh, it's so. First, we we know that the as the governor said, we have to be really vigilant because there are storms. I mean, today it's overcast. There are there are thunderstorm warnings. Um, there's a chance for more flooding over the next couple of days. And so we don't know if we're at the end of this particular storm or if we're only in the middle of it. Let's hope we're at the end, but prepare for as if we're in the middle of it. Uh, so we, we, we're not going to be able to really tell the whole totality of this storm until weeks from now when we really, the water fully recedes, we can tell, um, the damage. But I, I think the preliminary reports suggest that we are much better off than we were in Irene, broadly speaking, even though I think the scale of the devastation is on par or greater than Irene. We won't know that till later. Um, what we've seen is that a lot of the bridges uh, that were washed out in Irene uh, made it this time. I mean, we've we've in the last 12 years, uh, the Agency of Transportation and local officials have taken steps to make sure that bridges and culverts and the other structures structures that keep our roadways up uh, have been better designed and better constructed to withstand these floods that are no longer 100-year floods. They're once every 10-year floods. Uh, and I think that's that's the tale of the tape. I mean, I've heard earlier reports that we've only lost a couple bridges. Remember, in Irene, we had hundreds of bridges that were damaged and some which, th- you know, dozens that were permanently closed on the state system alone. Uh, let alone the local bridges and roadways. And I think what we're seeing, at least preliminary reports suggest that um, our infrastructure fared better. That's a direct result of the work that we've done uh, since uh, Tropical Storm Irene. I also say that our emergency response in this case, is in, in this storm, has been, uh, from my view, excellent. Um, Governor Scott's team has done a, a fantastic job in coordination with local officials all up and down the state. I mentioned earlier, no loss of life. That's a very meaningful uh, that's a very meaningful thing. Uh, during Irene, uh, we did lose lives. The storm came up very quickly. We didn't really know the contours of that storm. Uh, this one, uh, state officials, local officials communicated extremely well with the public. The public responded really well, took action to evacuate and, and not get themselves into any hazards. Um, so, you know, just the fact that we didn't have reported loss of life yet, I think that it's wonderful. I would, I would ask folks to remain vigilant through the week because the, the, the ground is saturated. 
the reservoirs and dams are up, um, things could change very quickly. So, you know, stay tuned. We don't, we want to make sure that we keep that number at zero, um, through the remainder of these storms and throughout the summer. I mean, we could, we could be in for a wild ride for the rest of the summer. Let's hope not, but pre- we'll prepare for the, you know, plan for the worst and hope for the best. Exactly right. You mentioned dams, and of course, uh, the Wrightsville Dam was uh, discussed quite a lot in the last couple of days. There was concern that it might uh, overflow. Do you know the status there? I, I don't now, and, and you know, the one thing we heard a lot about that people were like, oh, the dam's going to break. No, no, the dam is designed uh, to do exactly what the dam is doing, which is collect the water, and when it does reach the top, it spills over the top, and it was the spilling of that water which would have contributed to the flooding that we have. Um, I believe the dam's still pretty high now. Uh, that's what I heard the governor say before. So we'll keep our eye on that. Uh, that would affect any of the, the Winooski Valley watershed. So um, that's going to be a pretty important one in the days ahead. I'm sure the Army Corps is doing what it can to let the water out at a controlled pace, bring the dam levels back down so that we have a buffer between now and the next storm. We're chatting with Neil Lunderville from Vermont Gas Systems, the uh, uh, Irene Recovery Officer Emeritus. <laughs> Thank you. Yes, that's right. <laughs> I'm sure that pension is uh, generous. <laughs> uh, but obviously we try to learn each time. After the 1927 flood, uh, we built the three dams at Wrightsville, Eastbury, and Waterbury, and they seem to have uh, done their jobs pretty well. Yep. Uh, we lost 1,500 bridges in the 1927 flood, and a lot of them, uh, although they're <clears> – <throat> getting close to their end of their useful life, uh, 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 have fared a little better in the more recent events. But uh, we live and learn and, and try to move on. Um, you, you mentioned, uh, Neil, uh, no uh, no loss of life, um, uh, infrastructure in a lot better shape than it was before. Um, and you also mentioned the importance of uh, preparation by the state team. And it struck me that uh, uh, we've just been through a pandemic over yes, the last couple of years. Have. And when you and I worked together in state government, we talked about the, what we called an all-hazards planning strategy, where in many cases the response is quite similar, whether it's a pandemic or a flood or you know, a, a, an unnatural disaster or you know nuclear attack or, right. or whatever it yeah. might be. Yeah. So uh, we have a tested team in state government with Governor Scott and the others, and and I guess that experience shows. I think it does. I, mean, I think in Governor Scott's team, we have the most experienced crisis management team in generations. I mean, they've, over the last three and a half years, managing through the pandemic, managing through multiple natural disasters, and now this flood, uh, they know what to do. They are were prepared and ready. You can see that in the, the quick response, effective communications. We see that in the relief efforts that are underway now. Um, and we, we've been through a recovery with the pandemic. So, uh, my belief that this team will be ready to, to lead Vermont through the recovery phase. It's going to take a while. We know from Irene that recovery is not a question of days or weeks or even months. It takes years. Uh, for for people to recover with their homes, their loss of property, uh, for communities to recover, for businesses to recover, to bring our infrastructure back, and then learn and capture all those lessons to make sure uh, that uh, th- that we have th- that we've we planned it. We're planning ahead for for whatever's next. We're chatting with Neil Lunderville uh, about what's going on uh, in uh, the flood recovery, and he's uh, literally in the middle of it uh, uh, here in Waterbury this morning with a team from Vermont Gas Systems. Thanks so much again, Neil, for uh, stepping up to the plate and uh, bringing your team here to help out, especially because it's an area, as you say, you don't really serve. That's a, we, we serve Vermont. That's how we see it. Uh, we serve Vermont. We're Vermonters. We're part of this community. 
And uh, we saw this in Irene. We see that we saw it during COVID. We see it during every disaster we have. Uh, is that the Vermont spirit, the Vermont strong spirit comes to life and everybody wants to figure out what they can do. I think the governor's talked about the fact that, you know, we, we want to make sure these efforts are coordinated. We, we work through the town of uh, Waterbury. We'll work through the towns of uh, Montpelier and Barrie if they need us, um, to make sure that we're putting our effort in the right area, uh, with this recovery effort, even in the immediate response and relief phases. Um, it's good to have a little bit of coordination as you, uh, pre- prepare for this so that we, we are not exposing anybody to any hazards. That, that might exist in, in basements that are full of water and, and full of mud and in other situations. So safety is always our primary concern at VGS, and we, whether that's uh, whether that's working on our energy systems or working in a muddy basement, um, we're going to take, take make sure safety comes first. I'm sure <clears throat> I'm sure you're advising everyone to turn utilities off before they go back in. Oh, absolutely! You know that the the power is off in in, in places until we can make sure that it's dry and, and safe. And um, uh, the utilities do a great job across Vermont. The electric utilities, I mean, they've they've had their share of outages with the wild weather that we've had in the last you know couple of years, and um, they're always in great communication with uh, the homeowners, town officials, etc. Uh, we take it as as utilities, we take a special point of pride to make sure that. Our customers uh, get safe delivery of energy and um, that we make it as reliable as we can if it is impacted by Mother Nature from time to time. But we do what we can to clean up quick and get the uh, power and the power back on and the energy flowing. I wanted to ask you about uh, the financial implications of what people are experiencing because um, all this federal money is principally for public infrastructure, right? And um, I, I guess there's some SBA or small business um, center uh, yeah. um, funds available for businesses. But, but for the average homeowner, um, most of them probably don't have flood insurance, uh, so they're relying on their regular homeowners insurance. They are. It, 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 there are a lot of fe- there's a lot of federal money that comes to bear after a disaster declaration is made, and it gets to certain levels. Sort of FEMA opens up, so that you can think about the the disaster aid that comes in in several different buckets. If you're a homeowner, uh, you may qualify for individual uh, assistance, and individual assistance. It, it just to be clear, it's not going to bring back everything that you have um, if you have a complete loss or it's only going to help you so much. Um, it's really important and the FEMA, FEMA administrator said this yesterday that as Vermonters are cleaning out, take pictures of everything, document everything that you have. Think about ju- this just like you were filing an insurance claim with FEMA. You want to make sure that you have documented all the work that you're doing. So get that, get that phone camera out and just snap away. You don't know when you're going to need those pictures. I think it's really, um, really important uh, to be able to have that. Uh, and so that's number one. Uh, so, so FEMA will be uh, should be of help to individual homeowners and and folks who own buildings. Um, if you're a business, you may be eligible for small business administration funds, and there are other funds that are around that as well that that will come op- open up. The state will provide more information through Vermont Emergency Management um, as the days move as the days move for, as we move from response and relief to recovery. More information will become available. Now, towns also have. FEMA funds available. That is uh, the sort of more traditional infrastructure. They also need to document everything. So the town officials know this. We've been through a lot of disasters in Vermont. Um, you want to document everything you do, have a good long paper trail to be able to make sure to get those reimbursed. Uh, so there, I guess in summary, there are a lot of levels of uh, how how uh, the state and principally how the federal government can help. In nearly every case, it's not going to be able to help Vermonters all build back all the way. 
Um, that's just a reality of, of, of the funding. So I think everybody does what they can. And as Vermonters, uh, you know, just private individuals, very generous. There are ways to donate, whether it's through the Red Cross or the Vermont Disaster Relief Fund or through the Vermont Community Foundation. Um, those donations are really important. I think the governor hit on this uh, as well. The cash donations or, or cash or check are really helpful. Uh, donations in kind. So folk, a lot of folks will say, I want to send, you know, a box of clothes. That becomes really tricky for, um, for folks who are doing disaster relief to uh, to manage um, in, in this case the, the the money is most helpful and and all those the charities that I just mentioned the money really goes directly to the victims of um, of this disaster so I remember uh, after Irene we had the uh, flood disaster relief fund I can't remember the exact name yeah, of Vermont it. Uh, Vermont disaster relief fund okay. Re- Vermont disaster recovery fund huh. Yep, and that's still active. It is still active, and if you go to uh, the website off the top of my head, but I think it's Vermont uh, VDRF dot org, um, you'll be able to find a link to it um, and look at any of the the recent uh, state press releases or uh, announcements on the website. I think they'll have links to to that site, um, the Vermont Community Foundation, and the the Vermont Red Cross. Also, the United Way, another great charity to be up that that where the money goes directly to the victims of the flooding here. Well, that's great. And uh, Vermonters are generous in various ways, and I'm sure that uh, they'll log on and uh, do what they can to, to, to make a contribution. Obviously, there's the financial and physical loss that people are experiencing. There's also the emotional loss, and um, particularly right after the pandemic where not everybody's recovered from that, I think it's important to remember that 211 is there. Um, if uh, folks need some emotional support or whatever it might be, they should uh, check into that. Yeah, that, that that's. A, I'm glad you mentioned that, Governor, because, you know, talking over the years with um, victims of, of these natural disasters, um, losing your home or losing your photos or the, your personal effects, whatever it is, is is a huge loss and it's very traumatic. And even though right now folks might seem okay in the days and weeks that come, there, there can be a profound loss of hope. And so as Vermonters, even if we're unaffected by flooding ourselves, don't forget the communities that have been affected. We need to make sure that they remain in our thoughts, not just in our thoughts and prayers, but actually in, in what our actions and what we're doing to help them over the months and years ahead. Because it'll be very easy for folks to feel like they're forgotten. We will not let that happen. We didn't let it happen during Irene. We're not going to let it happen now. Um, that's part of what we do as Vermonters. And I think that's a really important lesson that I, I learned coming out of the, the Irene recovery effort was that we cannot let folks feel forgotten. And we don't do that as Vermonters and something we can't do again here. Great point. We're chatting with Neil Lunderville, CEO of Vermont Gas Systems, and we've been talking about the the work that his company is doing and all Vermonters are doing to help recover from the floods this week. And uh, great point, Neil, that it's uh, it's not a one and done. This is going to be with us for quite a long time, and we need to continue to support our, our friends and neighbors. In the few minutes we have left, I ought to ask you about uh, energy. <laughs> right, <laughs> that is your day job, right? Yes, it is my day job. Right. <laughs> so what's the energy? What's the energy picture look like in Vermont now? Well, I think we, you know, this this storm is a good jumping off point. I mean, we have seen more storms like this in recent years, and uh, we believe that is a result of climate change. We are we are seeing more dramatic weather events with more intensity, uh, whether there's rains or flooding, um, that is affecting Vermont. So at VGS, we are we are focusing our efforts on making sure. That that we're delivering safe, reliable, uh, and affordable energy, but also increasingly sustainable energy. We know that our, pr- our principal product, which is fossil gas, natural gas, um, it's, it's a great product in a lot of ways, but it does contribute to global warming. And we have to do 
our part as a company to uh, decarbonize our portfolio and help Vermonters use less energy or smarter energy in the future um, without abandoning the safe, reliable, and affordable, which is what Vermonters really need. We know that you know, Vermonters uh, are in a cost pinch a lot of times, and they got to make ends meet, and we, we need to be able to sor- serve affordable, renewable energy uh, to Vermonters. We think about doing that in three principal ways. First, we want to make sure that we are helping Vermonters use less energy. The most cost-effective energy is that you, that you don't have to use. So when you don't have to use any more energy or turn that thermostat up to get a little more heat, that's a good thing. Uh, we've been doing that for 30 years at, at VGS. Um, we're going to continue to do that into the future. Um, the second is help uh, Vermonters with in-home electrification, actually switching to a different way to heat, heat and cool your home. Um, and that means... Uh, uh, putting in electric heat pump water heaters. It means putting in centrally ducted heat pumps um, that work along the uh, side of your gas appliances. But overall, that leads to a far fewer greenhouse gas emissions. And finally, we are um, uh, we're making sure that we're diversifying our portfolio to move away from fossil gas where we can to displace it. That means renewable natural gas, some of it made near your hometown, Governor, down at the Goodrich family Salisbury. farm in Salisbury. Uh, it means other RNG projects around Vermont and around the, the United States that we take supply from. It means green hydrogen, which is not natural gas at all, um, but a hydrogen that we're blending directly into the gas line. It means projects like district energy. Uh, from the wood fire plant in Burlington, uh, all of these things will contribute when when taken all together uh, they 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 point a path forward where we are uh, decarbonizing our portfolio but still serving Vermonters that safe, reliable, and affordable energy yeah, and I think i 've heard recently about some uh, uh, pro- um, projects where you can uh, store energy in your home and uh, uh, save it for a rainy day. Yeah. Well, yeah, there's, I mean, energy storage on, especially on the electric side with a combination of solar power and batteries works really well. Uh, and the, those technologies, not only are they getting, um, they're getting cheaper, they're sort of getting easier to integrate into your home. Uh, our utilities with the Green Mountain Power, Burlington Electric, Vermont Electric Co-op, Washington Electric, et cetera, um, have great programs that uh, offer offer these to customers. They should they should look look at them and see how they work. Heat pumps are a great solution that work in tandem with energy storage. Um, and he, with heat pumps, you get the benefit of not only um, heating in the winter but also cooling in the summer. So in the days that are getting hotter as well, boy, it's nice to have a cooling option. That's something that VGS is offering our um, our customers and customers around Vermont. Well, not like the uh, desert southwest, fortunately, but we do have some warm summer days. <laughs> we do, so. we do. Well, I want to thank you, Neil Lunderville, for coming by this morning. Uh, I got you uh, off uh, muck duty for a half an hour. I got to get back to it. Well, you're you're a good man, and you've got a great crew there working to help Waterbury recover, and and a lot of Vermonters are going to be helping their communities too. So, thanks so much. Thank you, Governor. Thanks for thanks for having me on. Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint. Jim Douglas sitting in today. Um, um, Pat McDonald, of course, is generally here on Tuesdays and Thursdays, but she's uh, off with her hubby on a nice trip to another part of the country uh, celebrating a milestone birthday. I'm not going to tell you what it is now. I think it's 39, but uh, Pat is uh, um, having a well-deserved uh, vacation, and we certainly wish her and Bruce all the best and hope that they haven't had this uh, unpleasant weather as we have here in uh, in Vermont over the past week or so. We're uh, working to get uh, Matt Dickinson on the line here, our professor of political science at Middlebury College, to talk about um, uh, the cycle that's uh, really beginning as, uh, as soon as you can imagine now. 
Um, the uh, election of 2024 seems to most of us like a long way away because we're uh, uh, trying to focus on what's going on here uh, in uh, uh, in the present, uh, not worrying about stuff like that, especially in light of a an amazing uh, uh, storm that Vermonters are dealing with now. But uh, it'll be here before you know it, which is uh, really amazing. And uh, that's uh, just the reality, so we want to make sure it's on everybody's uh, radar screen. Um, and uh, later in the, uh, uh, on the show, we're going to have Gary Winslet here. He's also a professor of political science at Middlebury College. Uh, he wrote a report earlier this year about um, the housing crisis in Vermont. And that's going to be really uh, exciting because um, uh, he's experienced this challenge himself. And uh, he's uh, uh, put a, a very exhaustive, uh, um, um, detailed, uh, f- uh, evidence-based report together. And um, we're going to make sure that uh, we listen to his recommendations on how we address the housing crisis in, in Vermont, uh, which is um, critically important, obviously, as we seek to expand the economy and uh, address our demographic challenges here and uh, get more people uh, on our payrolls and more kids in our public schools and more uh, people uh, uh, contributing to the vibrancy of our communities. So we'll be working hard on that. And uh, at 10 o'clock, we're, uh, uh, we're going to break away for the governor's press conference. Uh, he's been conducting a briefing, as I'm sure you know, every, every uh, day since the tropical storm, well, it's not a tropical storm, since the flooding began earlier this week, um, ensuring that um, Vermonters have all the information necessary or everything that's available to them uh, to work on recovery. And uh, during the past uh, half hour, we chatted with Neil Lunderville, the CEO of Vermont Gas Systems. Um, we were going to talk the entire time about uh, energy and uh, uh, VGS and the service it provides to customers in northwestern Vermont. But um, uh, we thought we'd take advantage of Neil's expertise from uh, his service a dozen years ago as the chief recovery officer after a tropical storm, Irene. And um, uh, we were glad to have him here to uh, share that experience, contrast it a little bit uh, with what's going on today. Uh, a lot of people are talking about uh, comparing the two. Is it, uh, uh, is it worse than Irene? Is it uh, not as bad? Uh, I think uh, the answer is depends on where you are. Um, there are some spots where, uh, certainly in the capital city, where uh, the, the river level was higher than it was uh, in 2011. There are other places um, uh, where it uh, did not rise as, as much. Um, we didn't have the same level of infrastructure um, uh, damage, at least uh, on the state system, we believe. Uh, the state office complex in Waterbury is intact, and that is a real uh, tribute to the uh, improved um, processes of uh, design and construction that have allowed that, uh, th- that building, those buildings, to, uh, uh, to withstand the, the rising waters this past week. Uh, no uh, significant uh, bridge um, uh, destruction on the state system as far as we know so far. But on the other hand, a lot of um, uh, municipal roads are in, in, uh, have been washed out. Uh, some train tracks have been lost. Uh, some businesses have uh, been damaged, and in some cases probably irretrievably. And, of course, individual Vermonters um, uh, have lost a lot of their uh, possessions and uh, uh, suffered uh, serious damage to their uh, to their homes. So we want to, as uh, Neil said, uh, encourage everybody to uh, reach out, um, but even before doing that, uh, to document everything, to make sure that you have uh, 
uh, photographs of the damage in your home or business so that uh, if and when uh, relief is available uh, through public agencies that uh, you have the information uh, necessary to document it. So take a lot of photos and uh, keep them and uh, make a, make lists of, uh, of the kinds of losses you've suffered and we'll hope that they might be useful as, uh, as time goes on. Um, we've got some uh, time now. If you'd like to give us a call here at uh, WDEV at 244-1777 or toll-free 877-291-8255 to tell us about your own experiences and and, uh, any uh, um, uh, reports you have on the... Uh, on the damage that uh, you've seen or experienced in, in this flood or, or recommendations you have for, for helping uh, our fellow Vermonters get through this very challenging time, please feel free to give us a call, 244-1777, and the toll-free number is 877-291-8255. Well, this is uh, uh, an interesting um, uh, experience, uh, as Neil and I were discussing during the past half hour in in, um, uh, in planning and preparation, um, when uh, he and I worked together in state government, we we had what we called an all hazards planning process. Um, um, for in many respects, it doesn't really matter if it's a, a flood or a pandemic or a, a, a nuclear leak or a chemical um, um, issue or. Or, or a terrorist attack. It doesn't matter what the type of uh, disaster is. Some of the elements of the response are the same. And uh, we used to have uh, um, practice sessions uh, with the uh, state cabinet over at the Emergency Operations Center uh, here in Waterbury. I know Governor Scott has been there. He had to uh, move out of there uh, one day because uh, it was inaccessible. But um, generally, that's where the cabinet gets together, and, and uh, it's interesting to see that uh, there's an impact uh, uh, really on a variety of different elements of state government. Uh, we all think about transportation probably uh, first and foremost uh, uh, in terms of public works uh, recovery, but uh, I remember um, uh, an ice storm a number of years ago when we had a tremendous uh, uh, number of our uh, agricultural uh, barns that were destroyed, and then uh, um, uh, we, we had to we had to organize uh, an effort through the Agency of Agriculture to provide relief there, and of course the Public Service Department that's responsible for utility oversight uh, uh, has uh, uh, in times of um, uh, of um, uh, ice storms when you, when utility lines are weighted down and, and likely to break uh, has a, an important role too. So the entire uh, infrastructure of state government really gets together and has uh, has a lot of work to do. Uh, so uh, I think that has served us well. Governor Scott and his team have worked hard to uh, be prepared for whatever was going to happen. You never know exactly what it's going to be. It happened to be a flood this week, but uh, it could be something else. And this uh, strategy of all hazards preparation, I think, uh, makes a great deal of sense. The other change that we've seen from uh, from a dozen years ago is an improvement in in um, design and construction of uh, buildings. And the state office complex here in Waterbury is a great example of that, where it was um, literally destroyed in 2011 uh, by the rising waters of the Winooski River. Uh, this time uh, it has remained intact. It's been inaccessible because of the high water and uh, surrounding it, but uh, but the building itself uh, <clears throat> has been largely uh, unaffected, at least uh, on the order of magnitude that it was last time around. So that's uh, a tribute to those who uh, thought about um, building design and 
and uh, made improvements um, uh, since the, uh, the tragedy of, of uh, Tropical Storm Irene. And I guess we might say the same about uh, bridges. Um, uh, during the 1927 flood, we lost about 1,500 bridges around Vermont, both at, uh, on our rail system and, uh, and, uh, and to some extent in highways, too. And uh, after that, um, a lot of the infrastructure, the reconstruction of those bridges uh, was much better. Um, obviously, it would be even better today, but um, and it has been um, because the bridges that were replaced after Irene have, uh, have stood up well. Uh, but after each experience, we, we, we learn. Uh, we figure out what, uh, what can be done better, and, um, and, and we do it. And, and so we, uh, we hope that uh, the situation will not be quite as, uh, as serious. But Mother Nature is going to do what she does. Um, we've seen that in other parts of the country and the world. Um, you can make some uh, strategic changes, such as um, down on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, where they now, in many cases, are building homes um, uh, above the first floor, so they're on stilts, essentially, if they're on the Mississippi Gulf Coast, and because they know they're going to have uh, high water uh, from time to time, and and uh, so they don't have anything on, on a first floor. And uh, I was in uh, Japan earlier this year, actually, uh, and uh, saw some of the same uh, construction uh, design. Uh, I was in the area of the country near the Fukushima uh, nuclear plant that uh, uh, that was uh, under a great deal of stress a few years ago, uh, actually, specifically 10 years ago, and uh, they had a tsunami there that uh, wiped out a, a lot of infrastructure and in a part of the east coast of uh, Honshu Island, and they built back um, larger berms to keep the sea uh, from uh, from coming in quite as uh, seriously as it uh, had before, and also some of these uh, new construction designs where uh, buildings are built above the first floor uh, so that uh, high water is less likely to cause uh, serious damage. So we do live and learn after these experiences, and uh, hard to know what the lessons will be from, from this one, but uh, we will take them and, and apply them uh, to the next time so that we, uh, we can be even better prepared. We'll be right back. Back to Vermont Viewpoint, uh, Jim Douglas uh, uh, filling in today. And just a programming note, at uh, 10 o'clock, Governor Scott's going to have his press briefing on the flood recovery efforts uh, an hour earlier than usual. And at 10.30, uh, Professor Gary Winslet will be here to talk about housing in Vermont, the crisis that we're facing, and uh, his thoughts on how we, how we address it. Um, at uh, 11 today, Bill Sayre will be here on Common Sense Radio. His guest will be Ryan Young, uh, who will talk about uh, the often overlooked and rarely explained downside of overzealous regulation. So we, uh, we hope you'll stay tuned and uh, uh, listen to Bill's program uh, later this morning, too. Give us a call, 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255 if you'd like to. Weigh in on your thoughts on this uh, very difficult week we've been having in Vermont and, and uh, what we do to remain Vermont strong coming forward as we uh, work through this, uh, this flood recovery effort. A lot of great work being done. We heard earlier about uh, the 20 employees of Vermont Gas Systems coming down to central Vermont uh, to help out on Elm Street here in Waterbury. And there are other uh, people uh, from in and out of state uh, just um, taking time to come and 
do whatever is necessary. There's a website, uh, uh, vermont.gov slash volunteer, uh, that you should uh, contact because uh, it's not helpful um, to, to be kind of an ad hoc volunteer to just go into a community and start doing stuff. Uh, it really needs to be coordinated with local officials. So uh, we appreciate everybody's interest in doing it, but uh, we want to make sure it's uh, uh, it's as useful as possible and, and the, the need is is met and, and focused. So uh, Vermont.gov slash volunteer, I think, will be, a, uh, will be a good place for you to start. And, of course, charitable uh, uh, contributions are welcome. Uh, as uh, Neil Lunderville pointed out earlier, uh, we don't need stuff. We don't need uh, bottled water or clothes or uh, equipment or gloves or boots necessarily. Uh, we need money. Uh, and uh, those who are uh, well aware of the need will be able to deploy it as responsibly as possible. So there are several options. The Vermont Disaster Recovery Fund is still open from Tropical Storm Irene, believe it or not. Uh, so you can go there and, uh, and make a contribution, vdrf.org. You can go to the Vermont Community Foundation website. They have a, a flood recovery effort uh, underway, too. And, of course, the American Red Cross is always available uh, for this and any uh, disaster, and we appreciate their tremendous efforts, and you can make a charitable donation there as well. You know, next month is the uh, centennial of the Calvin Coolidge presidency, and we're going to have some uh, great activities at Plymouth Notch on August 2nd, 3rd, and, and 5th. So you may want to check the website of the CoolidgeFoundation.org and learn all about them. We're going to reenact the uh, uh, historic um, uh, homestead inauguration of President Coolidge at, in the wee hours of the morning of August 3rd, 1923. We're going to do it at the same time, 2.47 a.m. So if you don't have anything on your calendar at 2.47 in the morning on August 3rd, come on down to Plymouth Notch and watch us uh, reenact the uh, homestead inauguration of uh, President Coolidge. Uh, that'll be kind of interesting, uh, to say the least. So we're uh, we're going to uh, um, get ready for Governor Scott's press conference here pretty soon. And uh, in the meantime, uh, we've got time for uh, a call or two on at 244-1777 or 1-877-291-8255. Uh, please feel free to call us. I mentioned earlier, I think, that 1,500 bridges were washed out during that flood of 1927. It was 10 months before President Coolidge could visit his home state and view the flood damage. It was uh, The flood was in November of 27, uh, and the, uh, his visit was in September of the following year. Uh, he toured the state and gave a famous speech at uh, the Bennington train station, which was his last stop before his train moved, uh, moved out of state and then headed back to Washington. And he gave a, 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 a speech that is um, part of which is quoted on the on the walls of the state state house in Montpelier. It's called Vermont is a state I love. He talked about uh, his uh, this being his birthplace and the mountains and streams and valleys. But he said the most important thing about Vermont is her indomitable people. And um, just as he talked about the spirit of Vermonters recovering from the flood of 27, we certainly have seen that spirit uh, come through. Forcefully, after the uh, experience in 2011 with Tropical Storm Irene and once again with the flooding this week, Vermonters are always there to help neighbors, and, and, uh, and, and that's so, so encouraging, so heartwarming to see. There was an interview uh, 
on uh, TV last night of uh, Holly by Holly Taylor of Callis, who was stranded, uh, isolated uh, down the dirt road where she lives, and and uh, she said it was just such, so wonderful to see the response of people in her community to come forward and provide whatever assistance they could, and that's what Vermonters do, no matter what the uh, what the issue is. So we're certainly encouraged to to see that. But the Coolidge uh, Centennial is. Uh, uh, somewhat ironic in a way because um, he was president during the flood of 27, which uh, um, is one we, we think about a lot uh, during weeks like this, or at least I do. Um, it was a devastating experience. We lost about 85 people during that flood, uh, including the lieutenant governor of Vermont, Hollister Jackson, who was swept away by uh, the Stevens Brook and Barry as he was heading back to his home uh, in November of 1927. So it's a uh, these floodwaters are indiscriminate, and uh, um, it affects everybody. And that's why safety, as uh, Neil Underville pointed out earlier, is job one. We want to make sure that people are safe and healthy, and uh, because stuff can be replaced, uh, human lives cannot. So uh, taking care of each other and ensuring everyone is accounted for and safe is really the most important responsibility. So um, we'll we'll get through this as Vermonters always do. Maybe some of those uh, Vermont strong license plates will begin to um, go back on cars if they've been uh, retired in the interim. Um, but uh, that's the spirit of Vermont that we're going to continue to see uh, uh, experienced all across this state. Well, we're going to pause uh, for the governor's press conference. Uh, I'll be back uh, with Professor Gary Winslet at 10.30. So uh, stay tuned. This is Jim Douglas on Vermont Viewpoint. In decades past, you opened a business, hung out your shingle, and the customers came. Today, hanging out your shingle means creating an engaging website. The modern consumer is using the Internet to find businesses like yours. Are you positioned so you'll rise to the top of their search? Let the Radio Vermont Group Digital Services work with you to make sure you're visible online and to target your marketing to location, demographic, and interest. Learn more at rvgdigital.com. Welcome back to Vermont Viewpoint. Jim Douglas sitting in today. Uh, We've just heard uh, the governor's daily briefing on the flood recovery efforts, and and we had a chance earlier to chat with Neil Lunderville from Vermont Gas Systems, who coincidentally was the Irene recovery officer back in 2011 and offered his perspective on uh, how things are progressing now, how, how, how they compare and contrast to what happened a dozen years ago. And he uh, offered a great example of Vermonters pitching in. He and 20-ish colleagues from Vermont Gas Systems are here in Waterbury today uh, helping uh, clear muck and debris and, and uh, assisting the community in its recovery efforts. So uh, it was great to catch up with him, and then the governor's update is always welcome. Uh, Secretary Joe Flynn uh, noted that the floating bridge in Brookfield did not actually uh, wash away. It was just inverted and is... Um, going to be back in business, so that's a relief. Just two bridges on the state system affected, one that's going to have to be replaced in Berkshire, another that will need some repair uh, down in Jamaica and southern Vermont, a far cry from the infrastructure damage we saw uh, last time around. So some good news out there um, amidst all of the stress and uh, angst that Vermonters are experiencing. Well, I'm pleased to uh, 
Welcome to the microphone, Gary Winslet. Uh, Gary's a, pr- a professor of political science at Middlebury College um, and a great uh, friend and, and colleague. Um, and just to set the stage for our discussion, um, um, Gary, uh, I, I talked back back in the day when I was uh, in public office in Montpelier about what I called the affordability crisis. I said there are a number of issues that uh, are making it difficult for people to live in our state. Um, high taxes in relative terms was one. Uh, the high cost of uh, health care uh, was another. We don't have as many options here. Um, um, we don't have the economy of scale, and that's uh, caused some uh, higher than average uh, uh, experiences um, on that on that score, and the cost of uh, uh, of higher education is more than it is in many other places. Even our state institutions are expensive. And the fourth uh, uh, leg of that stool, if I'm not mixing my metaphors, is uh, is uh, housing. Um, it's it's Vermont is not a cheap place to live, and and uh, that's the uh, topic of a wonderful paper that you put together earlier this year, um, uh, fact based, uh, rich in data, and um, uh, really analyzing the housing crisis in a way that I I hadn't seen uh, as uh, presented ar- uh, so articulately before. So congratulations on a great effort, and uh, and thanks, thanks for your time Jim. this morning. Yeah, happy happy to be here. So let's uh, dive right in uh, as to uh, explain to our listeners why you decided to tackle this particular issue. Um, well, um, you know, my, my wife and I moved up here with our, our daughter uh, in fall of 2019, um, and uh, we've had a real struggle in terms of finding a, a place, you know, to, to that we can afford um, to, to live. We rent. We would like to buy. Um, and we sort of can't afford anything that, that's on the market, um, you know, and uh, sort of thinking about it, it was like, well, we make decent income. So if we're struggling to, to buy a house, what must, you know, genuinely working class people, um, what must they be dealing with? It's got to be even harder on them. Um, and so part, you know, there was some self-interest there. Like I would like to be able to, to purchase a, a house for my family and, we can't do that, but there's also just a lot of real concern for people below us on the, the socioeconomic ladder. I mean, I, I would like to see housing be abundant in Vermont so that people can can afford to stay here um, and people can afford to move here. I think I think Vermont is great. The more people that can can move to Vermont, I mean, I, I think that would be terrific. Well, we certainly need them. Uh, we've got a demographic trend here that's uh, very troubling. Uh, fewer younger people, uh, sm- uh, smaller populations in our public schools, uh, an aging yeah. population. Uh, more and more people are my age rather than yours. Um, I mean, if you just look at the numbers, it's it's actually really, really worrying. Um, since 2010, um, from 2010 to 2021, um, the number of people under 18 in Vermont went down by 12,000. Uh, but the number of people over 65 went up by 42,000. Um, just in the, in the last couple of years, since 2020, um, the number of children under five in Vermont has fallen 4.3%, um, which is way above the national average. Um, and New Hampshire has actually went up over that time, um, just to give some context. So, yeah, I mean, the demographics are worrying. They really are. And uh... Um, that has economic impacts, of course. It affects the uh, structure of our public education system. It um, has an impact on 
uh, finding enough little league coaches and volunteer firefighters and and people to yep. take jobs as well. So it's a real problem. And and, and you you start state uh, some pretty stark statistics. I'm I'm being alliterative here, um, Gary, in your report and talk about how Vermont is the sixth or Burlington specifically the sixth most expensive small metro area in the country. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so, so there's a, a database that looks at basically how much housing, how much a, a one-bedroom apartment costs versus uh, how much people make in that area. So you got to, you know, adjust it by income. Um, and then they divided it up into large metro areas, you know, big cities, and then medium metro areas, and then small. Um, and, and Burlington is a, is a small metro area. Um, and out of the 119 in the database, uh, the only ones more expensive compared to income than Burlington uh, were four in California and one in New Jersey, and that was it. We were six out of 119. Now, that focuses, of course, on Burlington, which is our major population center. Is, is it mm-hmm. different in other parts of Vermont? Well, so this is the real challenge. Is you've got different sort of housing problems in different parts of the state. Um so housing is a little cheaper elsewhere in the state, but there also aren't as many good jobs in a lot of other places. Um, you know, and, and I hate to be that, that blunt about it, but that's just sort of, you know, how it is. Um, and so even even outside of the Burlington area, you do see um, real housing affordability challenges. Um, you know, even going back before the pandemic, a lot of the sort of ski resorts would – tell you that their biggest challenge was that they couldn't find enough workers and the reason they couldn't find enough workers is because the housing in that area was too expensive and so people couldn't afford to stay um i mean we're we're you know you and i both work middlebury college um you know they have a, a real tough time finding uh staff for like the dining halls because people who you know have that kind of wage can't really afford to live in middlebury so they have to commute in from new york or or you know, 30, 45 minutes away. Um, so, so yeah, Middlebury is tough finding staff. So it's, it's not just a Burlington area, Chittenden County problem. Um, it's really a, a problem across the state. We're chatting with Gary Winslet, um, a political science professor at Middlebury, about the state's housing crisis. And actually, you reminded me of uh, an episode a few years ago when Okemo was expanding uh, the uh, regulators, perhaps it was the Act 250 Commission, said, well, you know what, if you want to uh, expand, uh, you're going to have to build some affordable housing. And they did. Uh, they put in a, a bunch of units across the river there. But but uh, the problem remains, as you stayed in, uh, in most parts of the state. So, so, Gary, how did we get here? Why, why is Vermont in this predicament, do you think? I mean, I, I think Vermont's in this predicament because for a long time we've sort of prioritized everything else but housing abundance. Um, you know, one of the things that political economy professors like, like me will tell you is that trade-offs are everywhere. Um, and if you're going to say, well, you know, we don't want that area to develop, well, we don't want this development, um, you know, we want to sort of keep things small, well, the trade-off is that you're going to have less housing and, and – the problem is that we don't seem to want to allow either up or out building, right? Um, you know, in, in the places that are already developed, like Burlington, people fight tooth and nail to prevent, you know, five, six-story buildings going up. So that's less housing there. But then people also want to fight it if you want to develop outward. 
Um, they call it sprawl. Um, I don't particularly love that word. I, I think a more accurate word is neighborhoods. Um, I think more neighborhoods would be nice, but people don't seem to want to allow that either. And so if you don't allow if you don't allow building to go up and you don't allow buildings to go out, you just end up with a shortage. Um, and part of that's related to you know local housing opposition. Part of it's related to Act 250 at the state level. Um, but yeah, we we prioritized keeping things the same over housing abundance, and so we got a housing shortage. Nimbyism, I guess. Uh, yeah, that is worse. We've got a caller, Forbes from East Corinth. You're on the air with uh, Professor Gary Winslet. Hi, how are you? Um, Hi. I'll throw a couple of things out here, and you fellows can uh, grapple with it. But um, the conversion uh, of a lot of uh, properties or rental units to Airbnb, one issue. And then uh, the price of properties has moved from um, house for sale to a bidding war. Um, a lot of money, a lot of uh, influence from out of state uh, as things diminish sometimes in their states, and a big uh, a demand for Vermont properties. So it becomes a, a real bidding war. And then the concentration of housing that's remaining, uh, if the rural areas all are into this um, um, high-end part, is this not going to move everything into just the core of the cities and create another problem? Okay, that's enough for you. Well, no, no, no. that's a, a great question. Um, so on the Airbnb thing, I actually don't think it's – I actually think Airbnb is good for the state, um, and it's because tourism is our most important industry. Um, Vermont doesn't function without – it doesn't financially function without Massachusetts, New York, Quebec money coming in to go to go on vacation. We want people to come in, uh, but we're not allowing enough hotels to be built. Um, recently, uh, Winooski just blocked a hotel being built, um, and so if you don't if you don't allow hotels to get built, and you need tourists, that makes Airbnb awfully lucrative. And it's it you know I don't want to necessarily tell people who maybe have property but don't have a lot of income. Like, hey, you can't use your property to gain gain some income. Um, I'm, I'm sympathetic to that, um, and so I just think that the the solution is to build more housing rather than to put the screws to Airbnb. Um, given our tourism economy needs, um, and as far as you know, you say um, bidding wars. I, I'm totally sympathetic to that. Um, my wife and I have lost an, <laughs> several in in the the, the housing market. Um, <laughs> and then as far as your your sort of third point of, of pushing things to where there's already developed, I mean, I, I think, you know, some of the, the latest flooding should prompt maybe a little bit of some rethinking on, on what some people call like smart growth, right? So his, Vermont's historical development pattern um, was to have people ride along the rivers because that's where like mills were, right? Um, but if you say, well, okay, that's where we're going to – that's where we're going to try to focus all our new housing – well, now that we've got climate change, maybe some places that were viable right along river paths aren't anymore. Um, you know, in Montpelier, you can see that. Like a lot of the multifamily housing that just got flooded is right next to the Winooski River. Um, and if we're going to get Irene, you know, every few years and we're going to get this kind of flooding every couple of years because of climate change, I think that's going to need to prompt some rethinking about, you know, the sort of quote-unquote smart growth that pushes everything to try to be right next to, to the rivers in, in Vermont sort of historically developed pattern. 
great Jim, did point. you have anything you wanted to add to this? No, those are great points. Uh, yeah, sad because a lot of these uh, venues are delightful, right next to a rushing river and a little village or a downtown, but uh, we've got to be realistic about uh, what's happening now and uh, and probably reassess that. I think you're exactly right. And I know of others who've been in bidding wars for, for property, and um, it's uh, it's a great time to be a seller, no question about that, but uh, not uh, not so much a buyer. So I was interested, Gary, in um, one item you mentioned in your report, and that's uh, Act 60, which many of us remember uh, – perhaps not so fondly, but a quarter of a century ago. Um, but that's the uh, school funding formula that has been changed somewhat since then. But tell us how that affected the housing crisis. So Act 60 actually comes from, I would say, a really good place emotionally, um, which is that we're all Vermonters and we want all Vermont children to have access to high-quality education. Um, and before Act 60, there was this idea that there were like gold towns, right, some towns, if you were right next to a ski resort or it's, you had some, you know, right next to Lake Champlain or you had some wealthy people, they had sort of a lot of tax revenue dollars to spend on their local schools. But very similar Vermonters would be the next town over and wouldn't have that kind of money. Um, you know, and so you had really big disparities sort of in which towns had good school funding and which ones didn't. And so we passed Act 60. Um, and unlike every other state in the country, we basically put the – to simplify a bit, we put all the money into one big pot, and then the, the state sort of divvies it out to all the different schools, and it helps level it out. Um, the, and it's as good of a place as it comes from, and, and I, I think there's a lot to commend the philosophy and, and principles behind it. It creates this um, perverse incentive where – if so, in other places, if somebody's going to move into your town, okay, there's maybe more kids in your schools, but that's also more property tax revenue, right? Um, if you have more people move in, that that's sort of good for you economically overall. And what actually does is actually creates this really perverse incentive, where even if a town maybe thinks it would be a good idea to bring in new people. Some people in the town will say, okay, well, that's going to be more kids in the school, but that's not going to be more property tax revenue because it's all sort of going to the state to then get divided up. And then the other thing it does is because smaller, you know, um, shrinking towns don't really have to pay the full freight for uh, an undercapacity school, uh, they don't want to give it up because it's not costing them more tax dollars to keep the school open. Um, and so you have this kind of bad incentive where you've got some schools that are way under capacity, but the towns fight tooth and nail to keep them open because it's sort of the last civic thing they have, and, and they're not going to pay the taxes for it. And on the other hand, you've got places that are growing, and the schools are, are kind of at capacity, but it's hard to expand them because the local property tax money isn't really staying local. Um, and so it's 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 you know as much of a good place as the, the act comes from philosophically, it is creating some perverse incentives that lead to more nimbyism. Yeah, we lost that connection between uh, the vote that Vermonters cast at their school district meeting and the tax bill they actually get. Uh, yeah, to your point. So I'm, I'm not sure I thought much about the connection between uh, school funding and the housing crisis, but uh, it certainly certainly is a factor. Yeah, I mean, and I think I think it's really indicative of the way in which a lot of the problems with our housing policy 
didn't come from some sort of uh, mean-spirited place. It's not like some there's anybody in Vermont that's, like, sitting in the back, like, you know, rubbing their hands like a Bond villain, like trying to create a housing shortage. Um, and yet, that, that's what we have because we, we you know, um, we've created some perverse incentives and we've got um, institutions that create more nimbyism. Unfortunately, I think some people in Vermont, you know, are, are too skeptical of growth. I think there's a cultural problem, but yeah. You make uh, some specific recommendations in your report, so uh, let's mm-hmm. uh, let's go over those. What do we do now? Um, I, so I I think that at the federal level in the United States, we have very good environmental laws that work quite well. Um, you know, this isn't 1970. Um, we've got the Clean Air Act, Clean Water Act. I don't think we need Act 250. I think it's in the way and causing more problems than it's solving. I understand that that's you know, long been Vermont's third rail. <laughs> um, so maybe a full repeal isn't in the cards politically. Uh, I think one of the things we should consider doing, though, is at least waiving it for Chittenden County. Um, Act 250, even when it was being written, was not intended to be, you know, blocking growth in South Burlington and Williston and Shelburne. Um, it was trying to make sure that we didn't get sort of overrun in the southern part of the state next to ski resorts. So, so I, I think if, we're, if we can't get a full waiver of 250, which would be preferable, but if we can't get that, at least waive it for Chittenden County. And I, I think the state's going to have to do some takeover of local control of zoning in some of these Chittenden County towns that where we need development. Um, you know, if, if somebody doesn't want to develop the Green Mountain National Forest, I'm totally with them. Right? If they don't want to develop Mount Mansfield, I'm totally with them. But we, we need, if, if we're going to have a metro area function and we're going to have abundant housing, Chittenden County is where it makes sense to go. And so I just don't think it makes sense to allow well-off people in South Burlington to, to block housing right around them, given that South Burlington is where a lot of the, the jobs and amenities are. You made an interesting point uh, earlier, Gary, about uh, how Chittenden County is where the growth is and uh, and uh, to the exclusion of other parts of the state. And I remember vividly talking with prospective uh, uh, business owners and or, or, or those who wanted to expand their companies in Vermont. And I tried to pitch other parts of the state, but it's kind of a, um, you know, a, a self-fulfilling prophecy in a way. They, they would say, well, Chittenden County is where all the action is, so that's where I want to be, uh, despite the uh, our efforts to try to diversify geographically. But here we are, and, uh, and that's the point. Well, so I, I, I actually don't think it's nearly that much of a zero-sum game. I think when Chittenden County does well, the rest of the state does well. I think it's the economic engine that sort of helps subsidize a lot of the rest of the state. Um, when we have a better tax revenue base as a state, that helps all parts of the state. Um, when more people live in Chittenden County, they don't just stay there. They're gonna they're gonna travel. They're gonna go do things. Um, you know, uh, I got tickets Saturday to take my kid up to the JP Water Park. Right? That's not in Chittenden County. Um, you know, so like I, I think if we have more people in Chittenden County, that actually does help the rest of the state economically in a lot of ways. Got just a minute left, uh, Gary, but you also suggest we really need an attitudinal change on the part of Vermonters, don't we? Yeah, I, I try to be as gentle as I can about this because I, I know that people really like have a certain love for the way Vermont's 
always been. Um, but I do think we're going to need to be more growth friendly. Um, you know, be a little more accepting of change. Um, things can't, things can't always stay the same. If we want Vermont to have a bright future, uh, if we want families with young kids moving in, if we want to be economically healthy, if we want businesses, if we want jobs, um, that's going to mean we need some new neighborhoods in places that are currently empty fields. Um, and that, I, that's just, that's what we need. That's great advice, uh, Gary. You've done an outstanding report, and uh, I hope that um, policymakers will take that seriously. Thanks so much for your time today. Professor Gary Winslet, Middlebury College, and uh, author of a new report on the housing crisis in Vermont. Well, thanks so much for joining us today. We had a little uh, interruption with the governor's press conference, but very important information for Vermonters. And uh, thanks for being a part of our audience, and we'll see you again on the radio. 